Gospel of Matthew. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we come to you because you are the one who provides. You're the God who sees us, who loves us, who have given us your one and only Son, so that we would have this deep and rich relationship with you. And this morning, we ask your spirit would come upon us today so that we would experience this afresh and anew. For some of us here, we need to experience it for the first time. And we're here seeking to know you and to connect with you. And I pray, oh God, you would do that as we look to your word this morning. No one needs to hear from me, but we all need to meet with you. And I pray that that would happen By your grace, in your son's name, we pray. Amen. So good to see all of you here on this fourth Sunday during the season of Lent. And we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, uh, not the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord's Prayer, which is in the Sermon on the Mount during the season of Lent. And uh, our hope is part of going through this prayer is that we would actually not only learn intellectually about praying and what Jesus teaches us to pray, But we want to engage in prayer. We want to invite you to engage because Jesus says here, pray then like this. He's teaching us to pray. And the thing about prayer is this. We don't need to be an expert at praying because God isn't looking for eloquent prayers, as we read, wordy prayers filled with empty phrases, the right techniques, or the posture. But Jesus says, pray like this. It's a simple prayer. 57 words in the Greek. These words that anyone can pray, young, old, those who've been around Christianity, those who are new to it, we can pray it out loud. We can pray it quietly in our hearts. It is accessible to every single one. It's not just for the clergy or a mature believer, but even to one that has never prayed before. Jesus says, Pray like this. Today we get to a particular kind of prayer in, the, in this uh, Lord's Prayer. It says, give us this day our daily bread. It's what theologians call a petitionary prayer. Because Jesus is saying, prayer is a way to actually change our circumstances. Prayer actually makes a difference. Prayer, as Blaise Pascal wrote, is God's way of providing man with the dignity of causality. God is inviting us through prayer to participate in what he is actually doing in the world. Think about that for a second. When we're asking God for something, when we're being asked by Jesus to pray, to say, meet our needs, pray, deal with our situation, we are being asked to make a difference. We are given the dignity of causality through our prayers with God. 
So we can come to God with, Lord, give us, give me. Frankly, this is the reason most of us are interested in prayer, I think, because we have a need and we need God to do something about it. We often find ourselves in tough situations, don't we? And we need God to be our provider, our deliverer. So we pray as we reflect on our marriages because it's been really, really hard. And we say, I don't know what else to do, Lord, but bless our relationship, change our hearts toward one another. Some of you are sitting here feeling like your job situation feels very precarious. It's been a kind of crazy season here uh, economically. And you're worried. You're worried, is my job going to go away? Is my company going to make it? I'm anxious. I'm losing sleep. Lord, would you intervene? Some of us are here with perhaps serious health issues and pain, and you're saying, God, the doctors don't even know what it is. They can't even diagnose it, but Lord, I need you to heal me. I need you to intervene. You know, yesterday morning I was uh, with a group of parents here at our church who are raising children with special needs. And as they're discussing and talking and sharing about some of the very unique challenges they face, at the end of that time, you know what we did? We prayed. We prayed for wisdom, encouragement, strength, because we believe that God will show up and do something in our lives. Some of you have been praying, you know, I, I'm just so discouraged. I've been wanting to meet someone. It's not been happening. Lord, I need you to intervene. Make that match on that app for me, you know? We're, we're praying. We're praying because we're saying, God, in my loneliness, I'm, I'm discouraged. And Jesus says, go to your heavenly Father and ask. Give us this day our daily bread. Ask him for your needs. Bring them before God. And I love what it says in verse 8. Did you notice what Jesus says? He said, your father knows what you need before you ask him. He knows, but we are to still bring this before him. But notice in the prayer, give us this day our daily bread is in the middle of the prayer. It follows all these other statements and ideas that we've been looking at the last three weeks, that God is our heavenly father. We pray his name would be made known, to made holy, that we long to see his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread fits into the context of this prayer. You know, the scholars, uh, they note that the subject of daily bread is kind of an extension of an idea that we looked at last week, that his kingdom would come. The kingdom of God coming. And you know what one of the dominant biblical symbols of God's kingdom showing up is? It's actually a party. The great festive banquet, as one scholar put it. Think about the great banquet in Isaiah 25 that's depicted, where there will be a table filled with the richest of food, the best aged wine, which foreshadows, in a sense, the marriage supper of the Lamb at the end of the scriptures in Revelation. And of course, bread, food are also key elements to the story of Exodus, as David was talking about earlier. If you remember the story, God delivers his people from slavery and poverty in Egypt and brings them into a land flowing with what? Milk and honey. And while the Israelites are wandering in the desert for 40 years, God feeds his people 
with daily bread. This thing called manna. Manna just means, what is it? Because they couldn't figure out what it was. You know? And he satisfies their hunger with this sweet-tasting bread from heaven. It showed up like dew on the ground. It was like flakes, it tells us in Exodus 16. It was like wafers with honey. And he does this for 40 years in great abundance. He meets their needs. And this was by grace, by mercy. It wasn't because they earned it. It wasn't for the people who knew how to cultivate the land. It wasn't for those who were out, who could gather quicker than the others. He actually gave it to everyone. And as the audience is there in the Sermon on the Mount listening to Jesus teach about prayer, you know where their minds are immediately going when they hear, give us this day our daily bread? It reminds them that their God is one who provides. He met their needs in the wilderness. He sustained them. And Jesus is saying they could trust him for all things. They didn't need to be anxious about the future. And Jesus reiterates this just a few verses later in chapter 6. If you go down to verse 31, if you have a Bible with you or your phone, you know what he says? Therefore, do not be anxious. That's what Jesus says. Why is he saying that? Because they're anxious, right? Don't be anxious. Saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. They could seek him and his kingdom. They can go boldly to ask God for daily bread with great audacity. And notice it's daily bread not weekly bread, not monthly bread. Why? Because we're trusted, we are called to trust God our Father to be our provider on a daily cadence, a regular basis, just as the people of Israel did in the desert. So we come to God in the Lord's Prayer saying, just as you provided for the children of Israel, provide for us. And this all makes sense because God is our Heavenly Father. This is what we've been looking at. That's why in James chapter 1 it says, every good gift and every perfect gift comes from our Heavenly Father. He doesn't give things to us begrudgingly, which means there's not one thing that is good for you that God has not given you. God says in Isaiah chapter 65, verse 24, before they call... I will answer. While they are speaking, I will hear. You, you have this picture of God as one who is so eager that even before you're done talking, he wants to answer you. While you're still speaking, he's saying, I am hearing. He's like this father so eager to be with his children and to provide and to listen. This is the heart of God that Jesus is talking about. You know, in Matthew 7, a little further along on the Sermon on the Mount, he says this in verse 9 through 11. Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to good, give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him. 
How much more? He's saying, you know, if this is how we are as earthly parents, okay, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give you good things to those he has? And in describing this kind of prayer and this calling out to God for meeting our needs, he's saying, remember this metaphor. We are like children to a father. Jesus doesn't say, pray this way, our friend who is in heaven. He doesn't say, our boss who is in heaven, or the cosmic power out there, the way Jesus teaches us to pray is to make sense of all of this only in family terms. Because God is our Father, we can go to Him shamelessly because we are His children and say, Father, meet our needs. Give us to say our daily bread. Pastor and author Eugene Peterson says, Prayer is the most practical thing anyone can do. It's, it is not mystical escape. It's the, it is historical engagement. Excuse me. Prayer participates in God's action. God gathers our cries and our praises, our petitions and intercessions, and uses them. The prayers that ascend to God now descend to earth. God uses our prayer in his work. This is the promise of the scriptures. Now, maybe some of you are sitting here saying, that's great, but you know what? I haven't experienced that. I actually find prayer very frustrating because the few times I've tried, it feels like there's no response. I'm praying, but there's no one on the other side, no answer. And as often, pastor, with the big stuff, the stuff I really care about, And those who say, you know, I used to pray. But it feels like I've been let down. Now, if that's where you are this morning, I think the scriptures have some things to say to help us understand our hearts and our struggles around us. You know, one of the reasons the Bible says our prayers go unanswered in the way we want is we are actually asking with maybe not the best motives. And here's what I mean by it. James chapter 4 verse 3 says, You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. To spend it on your own passions. Perhaps your motivation, James is saying, is selfish. And God isn't answering your prayer in the affirmative because your heart is so self-absorbed. You're not seeking God's kingdom or his will or to hallow his name, but your perspective is so narrowly focused on just you. And James says, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly. Suspend it on your passions. What about all those places you say in the Bible where it says, ask, and God says, I'm going to give it to you. How about John 14, 14, huh? Doesn't it say, if you ask anything in my name, Jesus says he's going to do it. What about Matthew 17, where Jesus says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can move mountains. But I think here's what the scripture says, that sometimes God doesn't give us what we asked for. You know why? Because he is wise. He is wise. As Jesus said earlier, What father will give his child a snake 
if he asks for a fish, or a rock if he asks for bread. The implication is, if a child asks for a snake, okay, are you going to give him a snake? I mean, the answer is no. Fathers don't do that, okay? Um, he doesn't give you things sometimes that are harmful for us. You know, when you tell your four-year-old you can't have that, they may be disappointed and not understand why. Parents, you know what I'm talking about, right? They may be upset, but you're asking your child to do what? Trust you. You know, playing with that knife is not a good idea, okay? Playing, throwing these darts in the house is not a good idea when you're four. Trust You're saying, trust me, I have your best interests in mind. I mean, this feels like such a contradiction if you think of prayer in terms of like genie lamp terms, you know, instead of father terms. You know what I'm talking about. Aladdin, rub the lamp, ask him for what he wants, and he has to give it to you. Good parents always understand something. They know how to understand, I need this. You know, they know how to understand, you know, your want is not the same thing as a need, okay? And parents help children distinguish the two. They help them understand those are not the same thing. They're discerning the condition of our hearts, the needs of our hearts. And sometimes God answers us with no out of his wisdom. And that's hard for us to accept because we think we know everything. We know what we need. That's just who we are as people. You know, but Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7 says something pretty remarkable. Listen to this. This is about Jesus. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverences. Let me read that again. In the day of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. Meaning, Jesus cried out to God with tears to the one who was going to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. He was heard? Wait. He wasn't delivered from death. But Hebrews 5 is saying, but God heard Jesus nonetheless. Having your prayers heard doesn't mean you're going to get what you asked for. But the Father was there for Jesus. The Father worked through Jesus' submission and what looked like to us perhaps an unanswered prayer. God took the submission of Jesus and brought about salvation and resurrection. So if you're a Christian and you've been asking for something and God has not given it to you, could it be possible Could it be just possible that you are asking for something that may not be good for you? And he loves you way too much to actually let you have that? And if you're upset, frustrated by it, and you want prayer to work like Aladdin's lamp, and sometimes we end up bitter and angry because God hasn't done what we asked him. If that describes you, perhaps... Or possibly, could it be that you're forgetting? You have a God who is your heavenly Father. A God who loves you. And he's not the genie of the lamp. 
Another explanation for why sometimes these things don't pan out the way we ask for is God actually has a purpose that is hidden from us. And this is part of having a relationship with a God who is so great and wise. As it says in Isaiah 55 about God, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. And sometimes we find it frustrating because we keep wanting to say, Lord, my will, not yours. But it is one of the realities of prayer that we experience. You know, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he says he prayed three times that God would take some thorn out of his life. We don't even know exactly what this is. Paul doesn't specify, but it is some problem, a physical illness or something else. And he's saying, you know what? I could be so much more effective in ministry if this thing was gone. Okay, if I'm healed of this. His desire is, God, I want to serve you. And you know what God says? Paul, I'm not taking that away, but my strength is made perfect in weakness. He's saying, you want to be strong and effective in ministry? And you think the best way is to get rid of this thorn? God says, the way this is going to work is you're going to be strong through your weakness. So it's going to be there. I'm giving you what you asked for, but maybe in a different way. Again, Eugene Peterson, uh, in his book, Working the Angles, writes this. We want life on our conditions, not on God's conditions. Praying puts at risk of getting involved in God's condition. Be slow to pray. Praying most often doesn't get us what we want, but what God wants. Something quite at variance with what we conceive to be in our best interests. Maybe another way to put it is this, and I got this from Tim Keller. He says, God always gives you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knows. Did you hear that? God always gives you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knows. There is, in a sense, in which God always answers. He always responds because he's the perfect father. He always meets our needs. You know, in John chapter 6, verse 48, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. But this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. You know what Jesus is essentially saying? We've been snacking on everything else to satisfy us. And we need to feast on him. And God uses our prayers to align our wills to his. It doesn't go the other way. To His see his kingdom come. And this begins the transformation of our prayers. Because then we no longer pray just for our needs. Did you notice, give us this day our daily bread? It's a corporate prayer, you know? It isn't my day, give us this day. Give me this day. Give me my bread. No, it's ours. There's a solidarity with those around us 
We're no longer focused just on our, our advancements, our comfort, or our personal happiness. You know why? We begin to see those things we have been chasing and praying for are not going to ultimately satisfy us, and only Jesus will. And only Jesus will. And this is what prayer does. You know, I'll, I'll end with this. Some of you know, you know, when I was in middle school, I was really sick. I had a three-year period uh, where I was in and out of the hospital because I had a bone disease in my left arm that eventually led to cancer and an amputation. You know, and when I had become a Christian a couple of years prior in like third or fourth grade, and I remember praying a lot, praying God would heal me, praying God would save me. You know, all my friends who were Christian were praying. My family was praying. Even those who weren't Christian were praying. You know, my church was praying. They would have these all-night prayer vigils just for me, for my healing, and for God's mercy. And there were moments of great discouragement along the way because you're wondering, does God hear? Does he care? Why doesn't he act? It's been three years. And along the way, I realized something. He wasn't going to answer my prayers the way I had asked. And I learned something pretty important. Just because God didn't answer my prayers the way I wanted him to, it did not mean he did not love me. It didn't mean he didn't have a purpose. It didn't mean any of those things. But God doesn't always give us what we want, but he always gives us what we need. See, he gives us this day our daily bread. Go to him this week. Even in our discouragement, even if you're feeling like, I don't know if he's going to show up, say, God, give me, give us this day our daily bread. Meet my need here. Help me to see that you're a God who loves me. Help me to understand when the things I ask for don't come true. And it doesn't mean you don't care. Because you've given your one and only son for us. You have given us yourself to fill us with all things. You fill us with yourself. And help me to taste and experience the joy of being in you. You see, when that begins to happen, it, tr- it transforms prayer. It's way more than a transactional thing you're trying to get from God. You begin to have God himself. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. He's saying, have me. Have me. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Father and our God, this morning we we come to you asking you to give us your spirit so we can understand what it means that you meet all of our needs. All of our needs in the midst of our suffering and amongst our doubts, even when things don't work out, help us to understand that you're a God who is at work. That perhaps some of these things won't make sense so much later because your ways are not our ways and your ways are at times mysterious. But there's one thing that remains constant. Your incredible faithfulness and love to us in your Son. Help us to receive the bread that he gives. Help us to be satisfied in that.
Help us to give ourselves to you fully in all these ways. In your son's name we pray. Amen.